creative company is so delicious, and the creative process is one of my favorite subjects. How humans can create something out of nothing is wildly exciting to me. And one of the best ways I love to spend my time is writing and recording my songs. Susanna Sifter is a pianist, author, and educator who specializes in contemporary acoustic jazz. She's also a professor at Berklee College of Music, where I teach. She's performed with John Laporta, Alan Dawson, John Lockwood, Euron Israel, Dave Clark, and recorded with Casey Shirell, John Hazilla, Bruce Gertz, Dino Gavoni, Tony Lotta, Larry Monroe, and Greg Badalato. We've been friends for years, and it's fun, enlightening, and often hilarious to get together. <laughs> hey, Zeus. What's going on, woman? Uh, I'm talking to you. <laughs> so good to see you. It's good to see you, too. Mm. What's going on? Tell me about falling in love with piano. Oh, How my Lord. Was that well, suggested to you, or you just saw one and went, well, it's very funny because there was a the, the little tiny spinet line in Healy that's still in my basement right now. Um, we got that piano when I was a toddler and <laughs> um, we had it in the house because my mother um, played some piano and there should be music in the house. Right. Oh. Apparently, the way that it all began is that if anybody touched the piano, I'd come screaming because it's my piano. I remember this story. Right? Isn't it a good story? That's great. They called it my remote control. Even if I was outside playing in the backyard, they'd play. (laughs) (laughs) You'd come running. Yeah, and then I was taking lessons with the neighborhood little old lady, Ms. Lauer. (laughs) She was an older lady, and uh, I would play, and if I made a mistake, her hands would shake. And I would say, I wasn't afraid of her, but I I was just kind of, Ms. Lauer, could you play it for me and and then I'll play it and then she'd play it and then I could play it but I wasn't learning to read because I was all ears you know and she says oh this is a problem <laughs> God only knew I was going to become a jazz musician or any kind of musician actually yeah it's like but, ears are everything come on right I know <laughs> any musician uh so she um so she's not going to learn to read she's telling my mom because her ears are just too good and that was the thing <laughs> And so that was kind of, that was a funny experience. I remember having a um, a performance uh, there and I made a little mistake, but I was okay. Uh, let me just see what else was I going to tell you about that period of time. Um, yeah, when we lived in um, Marshfield, so this is much later, same piano. I was probably in about seventh grade. And they would play a note on the piano, and I would tell them, you know, what note it was. Wow. Um, but here's the thing. They said, oh, you have perfect pitch. And I said, I don't think I do. And they said, no, you do. I said, no, I don't. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> um, Because they play a note, and I had remembered C in my ear. Oh, wow. And so I would just count up. Maybe they played an E. I would just count up the scale melodically. And it's, oh, that's an E. And they go, oh, my God, you're right. Which, you know, as a musician, is just like, you know, that's just what we, it's the same thing as looking at something, right? So, but they thought it was a pretty big deal. So that was, uh, 
you know, well, it's a fantastic yeah. skill. And it was something they were always trying to teach us in your training. If well, you're not born was, with it, try to get a good relative pitch so that you can lean on it, you know, and use exactly. it. Exactly. Because the thing is, you know, people with perfect pitch, you know, the car is driving down the road, the tire squeals, and they know it's a B flat. <laughs> the same thing is relative pitch that you learn uh, and that you that you get taught, you know. But I was just so surprised when I ended up at Berkeley teaching ear training for the first six years that I had to teach people about their inner hearing and singing up notes. I was like, wow, this should be natural to do. I know. Uh, I think all know. of us that didn't think we were going to be teachers, that were just artists first and had all these, I don't know, skills that we thought were just regular things that most musicians had, you have to figure out how to speak about them and how to teach them step by step because the things that came naturally to us do not come naturally to the masses. It was such a shock to me. Yeah, totally. I totally agree with that. And um, yeah, that that's a remarkable thing um, that you learn the longer you stay being an educator. Mm -hmm. that, um, you, some people can put those skills and stepwise motion and teach somebody how to teach themselves to do it right mm. um there's some people um that are artists but they can't make that jump to being teachers they're not very good teachers they they don't know how to express what it is that they're doing or how they got there for me I, it's always been a very i'm i think very organized and i've always been able to kind of say this and that and this you need that and this and you know oh, it, it hasn't been the kind of thing you know it took time obviously i'm a much better teacher every year you know that that never stops yeah. but at the same time you know I have studied with people as a as a younger person um, who didn't know how to put it into words, but who played great. And that happens sometimes. Oh, that still happens everywhere. Yeah, that's very common. More common mm. than not, I think. But how old were you when you heard of Berkeley? And how did that come? I heard of Berkeley. Um, let's see here. Uh, must have been when I was a either a freshman or a sophomore in high school because I was in the jazz band and we went to the Berkeley High School Jazz Band Festival every year. Oh, sweet. Yeah, so it was so funny to um, end up being, you know, an adjudicator years later. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I had known about it. So I knew, you know, it was never a question where I was going to go to school. Hmm. And um, so when I was 18, when I went on the road with this band, I, it was about nine months into it. And my mother said, all right, you want to do this music thing? You got to get educated. Oh, wow. So um, the band wasn't very good. So it wasn't giving me the education I needed. Uh, and uh, so I, you know, this music thing, right? Um, I don't know if that's <laughs> me saying how, like, or if she said it, I don't know. And uh, so I came home and um, went to Berkeley. Yeah. But uh, were those early lessons classical? Oh, let me just hear. No, no, I've never taken classical piano lessons. No. They were just, here's the piano. This is how you read. Here, this is how you make chords. This is harmony. Yeah, because the thing was also, you know, that when I was in high school, um, Mom took me 
to New England, New England Conservatory, right, mm, yeah. to get piano lessons because, uh, you know, I was starting to get serious. I was playing all the time. Wow. You know, and so she wanted me to get a, a real teacher. And then so I had two different teachers while I was studying there. Um, I remember they took me in. I was about in 10th grade and they took me into a class just to show me around the place a little bit, you know, mm. and they made me play in front of them. And I was so nervous. I remember I played, but no, I played uh, when Sunny gets blue or body and soul. I don't remember anymore. <laughs> That's awesome. and then, you know, I, they signed me up with Rand Blake. Do you know who Rand Blake is? I've heard the name. Yeah, he's he's creative and he's got he's big on ear training, which was cool. Um, but he he doesn't know how to teach somebody to play the instrument. And the reason I wanted to go there is because I wanted to be able to play the instrument. Mm -hmm. And then I switched to Andy Wasserman. I would go to his place in uh, Brookline, my friend Hillary. Do you remember me talking about my friend, high school friend Hillary? Yes, yes. Yeah, I just talked to her a couple of weeks ago. Okay. Um, she, um, my mom said, you have to take Hillary with you the first time to make sure everything's okay. And Hillary's like, yeah, so he can kill both of us. <laughs> so I knew I was going to go, but I did get those good lessons, you know, from him before that. You know, I learned how to practice journaling, which I teach people to do now. Oh, cool. And, um, About yeah. practice routine and what you're working practice. on. and Exactly. Writing it down, but writing it down, you know, uh, with details. Detail, yeah, like, you know, what, yeah, what the metronome marking is. And also the journaling part is helpful because you can say, um, having a good time with this, this is really starting to feel under my hands, but I'm going to ask my teacher next week or my friend or whatever, whoever, yeah. um, you know, how, how do I figure this? I do not, I cannot find a good fingering for this. And uh, That's cool. yeah, it's neat. I, I To me, it was really helpful and a lot of people find it helpful. Yeah, I find it helpful to practice with the right fingering right from the start, you know, because I was figuring out some Beatle tunes from my head. And then I thought in that easy song for no one, even though it's in the key of B on piano when Paul's playing it, his bass line does the bum, 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 bum. And I thought, I don't want to do what the piano's doing there. I want to do that bass line. So I found the notes and I ran out into the hallway <laughs> in 921. Is there a piano player here? Could you come in for a second? <laughs> How would you finger this? And I just practiced it like the way he showed me every uh -huh. single time so that I had that fingering down. And if I had known all my scales on piano, I would have known that. But, that, you know, it was really helpful to say, nail that little thing and throw that in your piano arrangement. <laughs> well, I'll tell you, you know, people ask me that. Some of the Berkeley online, you know, I teach for Berkeley's online school. Yeah. And um, some of those people are pretty much beginners in some ways not all of them or maybe they're just beginners to piano but they play another instrument so if i teach paul schmeling's course which is that's the berkeley keyboard method um a lot of times they're like halfway through the week and they've been doing or they got ahead in the assignment with some kind of uh fingering and they'll say hold on at at the lesson and I'll say you know it's going to work better if you do this and then they have to start over from beginning so i think it's worth the time before you get into something to figure out how you're going to play it because otherwise it's like learning two different songs almost yeah and on guitar when you're in any kind of position you can play in 12 keys in every fret and you can start in any 
fingering place, right? I could start with my first finger, my second, my third, or my fourth, and every time you look at it, you might do something different. So I remember practicing four-part arpeggios when I was a student at Berkeley thinking, geez, yesterday I had these down. What's going on today? <laughs> today they don't feel like they're flowing. It's like, decide which fingerings you want to use for which degree. Now you're okay. <laughs> you know, like, okay. All right. Wow. You know, like, the thing about that, people aren't, students, I should say, aren't patient enough with themselves so they really because it takes longer at the beginning they always want to i'm like will you slow down i don't say it like that they'll say you need to slow down <laughs> um yeah but i mean i get it um but you have to be patient and you have to be real careful when you're first learning a fingering because it's i think that when you're first learning something it's like fertile ground mm -hmm. You make a mistake the first few times, somehow it gets in there. And it's like you got to do it 10 more times or 20 more times to get it back right. Exactly. So it's much smarter to take it slowly at the beginning and really get the fingerings happening. This makes me think of like 7,000 things I've been wanting to talk to you about all this because it's like even uh, the band you went on out gigging with, what kind of style of music were they doing? It was a show band uh, and top 40. So I've done a lot. I've done a lot of different styles. Yes, you have. I'm not saying that the style wasn't very happening. I'm just saying that the band wasn't. Because <laughs> yeah. when I came home, one of the first things that I did was, um, you know, get into another band doing the same thing. Right. Because then I remember you got into some synth things and some electronic keyboards because that's what you had to carry around. And then you were doing some things with sound and different effects and... That was really cool. But then you were also doing um, like lounge gigs, like solo piano, mm -hmm. so that you were playing melody and chords at the same time, playing arrangements maybe from your head or from the real book or, mm -hmm. or some of those worked out prior when you would play for different uh, lounges and hotels and mm -hmm. places. That you just well, you really have to, you know, I mean, playing at those kind of gigs, you got to play something that's listenable. Right. And I learned that the hard way. Um, <laughs> <laughs> they want to recognize. Yeah, they want to recognize the song. They want to be able to maybe have a memory with it. They want to be able to ask you to play a song that they know, you know, and bring that melody out. And, you know, it's tricky because uh, being um, um, a keyboardist, you know, like in those pop or that the rock bands, just about sometimes it would be a, a triad here on this keyboard and maybe something playing a line, a string line up here. So that's one thing. Or sometimes there's chords and chords with the two hands. Right. Um, the bass player also played saxophone. So sometimes he would play saxophone and I would walk a bass line with my left hand and play right. chords with my right hand. Sometimes it would be on all that would all be on the piano sound down here. Right. Um, so there's so just right there, we have three textures, right? We have the texture of the bass and the chord. We have the texture of the chord and the chord or the chord and the melody. Exactly. And then, of course, there's always bass and melody. Yeah. Improvisation. Okay, so that's the kind of stuff I would do in the bands um, that um, I use the uh, keyboards for or, or the, um, you know, the pop rock bands. Yeah. Um, you know, so I'd have to, you know, get a good organ sound, a good roll. I, when I was on the road, we I had we were carrying my Rhodes. Oh <laughs> a suitcase Rhodes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you couldn't manage yeah. that yourself, right? They always had to have somebody on the other side of it. Yeah, two of us, yeah. I was yeah. pretty muscular back then. But it's very interesting on how piano or keyboards or guitar can function 
in a band. It's almost infinite ways mm-hmm. because both instruments are so versatile. And mm-hmm. like you say, all those different ways to accompany what's around you and or play by yourself. Like I think to some degree, guitar players and piano players are almost neglected in a sense because we're such virtuosos that we don't get as much band experience as a drummer or a bass player. Like Mm -hmm. they have to integrate with other people right away. Mm -hmm. I'm so used to doing my own thing and Berkeley made you jump through so many uh, circus hoops that you could play chords, bass and melody at the same time. Mm-hmm. And very few guitar players do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, you know, I had like John Medham and Jeff Song say to me, okay, well, you're doing the bass and the drums. What do you need us for? What do you want us to do? <laughs> like, can you calm it down? Like, because I would write guitar parts to sing over that uh, sounded like complete piano arrangements, like a blanket that went around mm-hmm. the melody. And they'd be like, but that, you've got everything in there. So like, you don't even need us on the song. And I say, well, you wouldn't say that to Elton John or to Tori Amos or to, mm-hmm. you know, like if it was a piano, you'd know what to do. So like, just find something that fits this. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they'd want me to like simplify it down to like basic chords so I could just stand there and sing. And it's like, no, I want to play that little line that just happened in between my verses, you know? So, hmm. Mm-hmm. So wait a second. I know John's a drummer. Are you talking about a bass player? I don't know the other guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah he's bass. Well, that's weird. Yeah, it was funny to hear that. And then the whole style thing is wild. I've had a couple of people say to me, well, what style of music are you writing? Like, what is this? Because people are taught, like, play a Latin, play swing. <laughs> it's just it's like you can accompany it you know in any way mm-hmm. but it's like for an original tune if it's a combination of styles some people get completely thrown off and it's like well that's what pop rock is it's a merging of all the styles in a way but i've never consciously said let me merge all the styles and see what i can come up with it's just mm-hmm. my influences sort of take me in those directions and i like taking my ear by surprise so that it's not typical where my chords are going to go and stuff like that mm-hmm. But I never thought about the groove and the, you know, what style is it? It was like, I don't know. It's like a yeah, I think that, thing. <laughs> you know, like, it just seems that the more you play your music and as it develops, um, I think that that style, because, you know, when you're like, uh, have to say what your style is, it's awful hard to pick one because you're always, I mean, you're certainly affected by every music you've ever heard and performed. Exactly. And if you compose something, it's like, well, what's this like? Or, or with, um, in particular, I think that as I studied jazz, you would sound, your improvisations might sound similar to so-and-so who you've been listening to or another person, you know. And um, you're supposed to try to find your own voice, of course, and your own voice is shaped by others. And um, then you want to try to do something to it a little bit more personal. Mm. And it's interesting because part of that comes from actually found, finding your own, in jazz, your own uh, vocabulary that's going to be influenced by different people, but that ends up being your vocabulary. And you might do some repetition of that in your improvisation. And it, it, it's just funny of that we should talk about this because I was talking to Stephanie Tiernan this morning and she was talking about seeing Bill Evans at the jazz workshop in the 70s. She's hmm. For all of you listening, way before my time. 
<laughs> yeah, it's that time. But um, she knew a lot of his recordings. She was surprised at how much of it was the same. Nice. Or maybe put same kind of phrase or same phrase, but maybe put on this beat or on that chord. It's interesting, right? Yeah. Well, if you listen to any particular improviser long enough, you hear how they repeat themselves. Mick yeah, Goodrick totally. used to say, you know, that's their beef stew, mm-hmm. which is a lovely thing. You know, mm-hmm. it's, it's like any other style of playing or whatever. I, I don't know. But uh, <laughs> I think it's very interesting when people get all hung up trying to find their own voice as a writer or an improviser, because it's like you already have your own fingertips, your fingerprints. You already have your own DNA makeup. You already are so unique in the universe. You've got that part built in. What you have to learn how to do is play this instrument or understand some of the things that you're doing, you know? So just imagine being a newborn baby growing up under a rock and nobody's ever spoken a word to you. How much English do you think you're going to learn? How much you can understand? Will you be able to learn how to think? Will you even be able to walk? We even know to do that. It's like everything is learned. Everything mm-hmm. is from everybody else. It's like mm-hmm. you don't have to worry. Just you have to learn how to talk and think and understand a language. And then you can use it and say what you want. That's mm-hmm. the whole point. And mm-hmm. I don't even mean that you have to understand everything about music theory and harmony before you can write songs. That's mm-hmm. not what I mean at all. Because to me, writing songs, anybody can do that. You know, like anybody can compose a melody or think of something to... Mm-hmm. whistle or, or whatever you don't have to know that that was in the key of d flat and it had a two minor in it and it went to the four seven you know it doesn't have to you don't have to know any of that because like a painter probably doesn't know what chemistry is happening in each one of those colors let's mm-hmm. see it was 52 percent magenta yesterday so nina 37 uh, <laughs> percent you know like it's just i nobody's thinking like that they're just looking at those colors and saying Oh, that would look so good together. And what if I blended a little of these two together? Oh, I want to make it a little lighter. And that's what I do with chords and with melody. My ear just wants to go somewhere because I'm trying to feel something from a specific chord or place. And I just write everything I've ever written, unless it was an assignment for school when I was a student, was just put your fingers anywhere and find what you like. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So how, did you, how do you compose? Yeah, I think it's the same kind of thing. Being an improviser, I, which I think any composer really is in some ways. Yeah. Um, but I'm kind of, uh, you know, as a jazz player and a jazz improviser. And I mean, shoot, when you're when you're um, comping um, in any style, it's rhythmic improvisation, you know, so yeah. in many ways. Um, but I'll play and I'll play and then something kind of gets my ear. So hold on, like come over here. Let me see. <laughs> come over here, or I look down and go, "What did you just do?" <laughs> yeah, right, right, right. Say, tell me that again. <laughs> me here. What, tell, me, tell me, tell me more about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> more about that. And I go there, and then you know, uh-huh. and then go there again. I go someplace else, and then sometimes you just know. There's just that moment you just know, and you write it down or you record it, right? Yeah, yeah. Or, so I think you've told me about how sometimes you run a um, a tape record, tape recorder, right? A recorder when you're when you're just doodling, even you know, because you come up with ideas that you don't want to lose, because you can, because it comes from a different part. 
Yes. Even if it is, I mean, of the brain or of side of the brain or any any other thing that you might think when, when the muse comes in the room, you know, it's, it's a certain part of the brain that you don't necessarily live in 24-7. That's not the same part of the brain that writes the checks out for the gas company, right? <laughs> it's a different part of the brain. So it's easy to, if you lose it and maybe the phone rings, you got to pick it up, you go back. It's not. It's just not, it could not be there anymore. And if you rediscover it, you might not know that that was the same thing. That's the extent to which it's just at a different part of the brain. That's that's my experience. That's why I really like to um, not be disturbed when I'm working on something like that. Absolutely. And uh, certainly, um, you know, work with a recorder or something as such. When did you Um, write your first composition? Oh, my God, my first. How old were you when you realized you were making stuff up? Well, certainly somewhere around fourth grade, maybe. Uh, I think it was in Georgia. So, um, so like nine years old. Yeah, probably. That's awesome. Yeah, I um. <laughs> <laughs> I know I was ten. Yeah, I mean, I don't think it was interesting to me what they were teaching me in the piano lessons, right? I'm mean, looking at this page and it's like, boom, boom. <laughs> You know, old Lang Syne or what, what, all sorts of silly. I don't know, you know, because they weren't classical lessons like legit sit down, play a certain hmm. way. You're going to play. I'm sorry I didn't have that background, frankly. Um, hmm. But I got something else that I'm not sorry about. <laughs> I would have uh-huh. been like, that's all I'm saying. And my mom tried to get me both, but they ended up sending me to teachers that didn't think of that. So, that. Huh. Um, so we tried. <laughs> do Do you remember how we first met? I was trying to remember how we first met. I thought it was just mutual friend, and you were still a student, and I was a teacher. Yeah, yeah. I weren't. This was pro- we probably already knew each other when we were doing Kate Finn's recital. Remember that? Yeah, it's recital. Yeah, and I didn't know why we had to rehearse so much. <laughs> Oh, you jazzer. <laughs> oh, no, it was funny. Why do we have to do it again? <laughs> <laughs> but what I remember loving was how in love with jazz you were. Because mm. you were the first person around my age, even though you were a bunch of years younger. You weren't one of my teachers. Mm-hmm. And you weren't one of the jazz Nazis that were at Berkeley at that time that were really offensive mm-hmm. to women and to anybody who liked anything other than jazz. Mm-hmm. And um, you really loved jazz. And I remember being so curious about that. It's like, how could you be close to my age and actually like jazz? Like, what do you like about it? And mm-hmm. we might have spoken about it at the time, but I'd watch you play and see how much you loved it. And then when we did talk about things, I saw how much you loved it without hating what I was doing. Mm-hmm. You, you actually enjoyed some of my songs. It was like, no, jazz doesn't like this. Jazz doesn't like James Taylor. Jazz puts down the Beatles. Jazz, mm-hmm. you know, like that's what I was around. And and you were like one of the first people that were like, no, I really love this and this is why. And mm-hmm. it was so cool to see and hear and feel jazz through your ears, through your eyes. It opened me up to understand parts of it that I still think are super cool today. Mm-hmm. I love mm-hmm. about it. Well, I just, I always respected how well you played the instrument and how much you knew about the instrument. Mm. You know? um, and um, 
your creative output you know there's so much of it and uh yeah and your lyrics and everything there's just so much to it and you know i had played in pop rock bands and show bands and so i had a lot of i still listen to some some rock tunes you know um it, de it depends on why i'm listening if i'm listening for emotional reasons i just about i probably 75 percent of the time will um go to something with lyrics that saying you know yeah. then the time that when i'm working it's it's different styles you know it's usually usually jazz so and like when you're listening or needing to listen to something it's like i have to say to myself am i trying to be fed right now well then i better go to something tried and true you know like something that i know really touches me no matter what mood i'm in mm -hmm. but when i'm exploring music i have to be in a very playful it doesn't matter what it is kind of place because there's so much now Mm -hmm. Like before, I think we, in a incorrect way, thought we had a handle on what was going on. You know, but I think it's because we only had limited radio stations and mm -hmm. friends who knew whatever albums were out at the time or artists that each of us were listening to. It was like easy sort of to keep track of stuff. Now you realize how gigantic the world is because it's all out there. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, it's remarkable. I. I feel like a fossil when I tell the students this, but I said, you know, um, things were on the reels at the library and we used to bring our Walkmans in and steal the recordings and cook, hook them up. <laughs> well, they had them set up on the desks, the tables made exactly for that. The reel-to-reels were built into the tables and they had the little RCA cables coming out the back so that you could, they wanted you to record them. Oh, they did? I thought I was getting, I'm glad because I, I felt no, always- No, that, that was educational purposes and it was like, this is how you hear what's going on because there's so much music out there that happened before you and before mm -hmm. the Beatles and we want you to know about all these different artists and that was those were some of the assignments even mm -hmm. bring in that yeah. big cassette deck that I had and uh, <laughs> put it on the table and make our little recordings from there and, and and learn and listen to the greats and that's what I found was so beautiful though no matter what style of music any of us grew up listening to, at least when I was a, uh, a kid, all styles were on the radio stations at the same time. Mm -hmm. And uh, at Berkeley, certainly there was a lot of extra new people to listen to, but uh, there wasn't that background from like my guitar teacher about any hierarchy or mm -hmm. harassment for any other style other than jazz. It was just like, just listen to great people play, listen to great musicians. Mm -hmm. And I've always liked when people say I'm a musician's musician, you know, like I don't mind that, mm -hmm. but I like great musicianship. I hear some development. I want to hear some melody. I want to hear harmony. I want to hear some counterpoint. I want to hear something interesting that keeps my ears mm -hmm. engaged and I want to feel something. So, you know, I can jump around and pretend to dance to the, the best <laughs> groovy things that don't do that, but that's just having fun. It's not being fed or... Mm -hmm. being moved by some new piece of music mm -hmm. yeah yeah it was just you know i remember that um when i was studying with dave holland at nec and he would assign some songs to me and he would say um you have to listen to at least three different versions of this you know like that. So that i'd like to tell my students to do that too and i also remind them that it is so easy to do that right now or you just go to youtube or any or the or anybody's website and you can listen to 10 of them you know mm -hmm. it takes you like two seconds to do it compared to 
schlepping to the library, getting your stuff out, hooking it up, blah, 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 blah. You know? Yeah. So that was, that is just so much better. Now music education is just so much advanced. I know. I think, I'm amazed at how many people still ask me how to do something or where to find it. It's like, I gave you all those handouts. You have it in the book that you were supposed to buy. Mm -hmm. It's on the internet. It's not Berkeley exclusive. You know, it's like, this is just guitar knowledge. The whole world has that out on the internet for free and mm -hmm. you can find it. You know, it's like, they don't even think to Google it. It's like, I thought that was the joke. You could Google anything, you know, and <laughs> well, you kind of can. I know. So why aren't you? It's like, uh, where do I find this? Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, the other thing is, too, I'll have somebody come to my private lesson at Berkeley in person and, um, you know, relatively accomplished players. Maybe they studied classical for even quite some, some time. So they know a lot about uh, music, you know, and then no trouble with the scales or the arpeggios and anything that's written they can play pretty well and they said well i want to learn how to play jazz so okay well you came to the right place first thing i say and i say name me three of your favorite jazz pianists and they, oh i don't know right but you should be able to teach them jazz in one lesson right <laughs> or one semester yeah <laughs> or one lifetime yeah, one lifetime. <laughs> I yeah. had a student actually come in to me once and say, okay, here's one thing I don't want to study. I don't want to learn how to, I, I'm not interested in the abyss known as improvisation. <laughs> I was like, I, I got you, I understand. <laughs> Eric Clapton used to only work on tape, you know, before Pro Tools and all those digital things came into being. And he would always record like, five to 16 different guitar solos and they'd be up on the faders on all these different tracks and he'd sit there with the engineer and the producer and they'd take the best moments of each of his solos mm -hmm. and make the best solo mm -hmm. like comping it the way you comp a vocal and then mm -hmm. he'd go home with a cassette to learn that solo so that mm -hmm. he could come back and play it with conviction because mm -hmm. at that point then he's got the exact fingering he wants and he knows exactly where that pre-bend should be and all those beautiful subtleties that go into the expression and the articulation and the actual speaking or singing what he wants. And I loved that. So in all the DAWs now, all the digital audio workstation, you know, computer-based recording setups, we can put like a loop around the section that you want to put a part in if you're learning what those chords are or if you're wanting to solo over it or whatever and i just keep playing i get the right guitar and the right sound i want and set up the mic on the amp and do whatever i want with effects and then mm -hmm. i just say okay go see what happens because i've been hearing the song i wrote the song i know by ear where it's supposed to go but i still make mistakes and i just see where it's going to go what i wish i could play i sing something i find it i try things i might record you know 56 different versions, you know, and I like two seconds of each <laughs> or, or three measures or those four bars. Oh, my God, you ended it beautifully. Keep that, you know, and sometimes it's keep it and sometimes it's comp it the way Clapton did and then learn it and play it with conviction. So it's mm -hmm. a composed, improvised right off your ear. Well, that's, that's, now that's interesting, right? That's, that's another thing to do. And there's no yeah, right or wrong at that point because yeah. I can get rid of the... Yeah. 
And I get more than one chance. <laughs> yeah, the thing that's just another way to do it, right? Because we've got the purely improvised, we've got the the written solo, but how do you come up with the written solo? You improvised and then you put the good stuff together and you know, which is a composition too. But it's exactly happening during the solo. I mean, that's because we were talking about how to how you compose and i was talking about improvising at the instrument to find it yeah yeah, yeah. it's, it's the kind of thing cheryl bailey just asked me a couple of years ago to contribute to the new berkeley guitar department book and she said why don't you write an etude on mm -hmm. george harrison's chords to something just write a melody mm -hmm. and then tell us what scales you use to write it mm -hmm. and i left because i knew i wasn't going to use any scales to write it <laughs> but I knew I had to stay away from the melody. I had to stay away from the bass line because it's super melodic. And I had to stay away from the guitar solo because it's super melodic. And mm -hmm. I wrote this thing by ear and I notated it down. And then I actually said in the description that I didn't use any scales because I'm really just going by how something feels and how I want it to sound. And it just turns out that those frequencies are automatically correct. Mm -hmm. You know, those intervals do work and those tensions do work. It's like the artist picking the colors even though he doesn't know that it was 50%, you know, cobalt or whatever. You know, mm -hmm. It's like, it's okay. And those scales do make sense, but it's like almost like another way of going to the same place. Mm -hmm. However your brain works or how that, that stuff makes sense. Mm -hmm. So it's funny. I mean, they can't say in the book, it's these changes, but somebody who knows the song might know. Mm -hmm. And then um, I like that it just stayed away from those other three melodies that were so catchy and I, there was something else that I could put in there. <laughs> wow. Yeah. I had to write a number of short pieces based on various scales. Um, I wrote a book called um, A Modern Method to Piano Scales. It's my nice. recent one. And um, so a lot of books for Berkeley. Just two. Really? Yeah. They're, they're yeah. massively packed with good stuff, though. Oh, yeah, I hope so. Thank you. Sounds like a lot to me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I thought um, you might be interested in the book because um, because the fingerings are there for the scales, by the way. So I, I go through the major scales, major pentatonic, minor pentatonic, blues, major blues, minor blues, um, all the uh, modes to the major, all the modes to the harmonic minor, harmonic major, all the modes to the melodic, real mo jazz melodic, um, chromatic, whole tone, symmetric augmented, symmetric diminished, symmetric dominant. Oh my God, I can't believe I named all of them. Um, but, you know, there's some fingerings to that stuff that's that, you know, and then once you get the hang of it, but what kind of connected me to that was just that what I wanted to do was say, okay, I always like to have theory in my books and then um, musical application. So I tried to um, write something musical, you know, using that scale. So that that's a little bit different because I'm being, you know, brainy about it. I got to make sure that I don't use something that I shouldn't. Um, I didn't always succeed because I just heard something that this should be there, you know, and um, there was one song in particular um, 
It's a tune. Um, it's based on kind of the vibe of Chameleon by Herbie Hancock. And um, I just changed the key. It's just a vamp, just like Herbie's tune is two two chords. And uh, so I made mine up a whole step and just the two, it's just a C minor seven and an F seven. Sometimes there'll be a note that wouldn't be within the exact, you know, chord, but um, you know, something that I've talked about with, with um, friends is that when something happens musically naturally and it sounds good, don't blank with it, you know, because it's not within the scale. <laughs> that's why if somebody gives me an assignment and it's not there, I said, well, that's not using Dorian, but that's an awful nice scale. <laughs> but I can, I can, I, oh no, peace, melody or something, not scale, that, but that's an awful nice melody, you know, but just for my sake, what note do you missing for the, for the Dorian? Right. Oh, that's right. Natural six. There you go. All right. But I like what you wrote. And so the funny thing was, too, um, because um, the course Scales 101 that Berkeley Online, I wrote for Berkeley Online, um, I was complaining to a friend of mine. I said, you know, it's hard to give improvised examples only using a particular scale. Again, because the scales over here, my improv is over here. And I'm having a hard time with this because I can't. I keep playing notes that I shouldn't. And if I try to only use those notes, my intellect gets in the way. And so all the vibe is out of it. It's like a terrible solo. So um, so what I came to understand that I need to do is just play. And, <laughs> you know, I'll notice what I played, you know, or what came out. And I'll, I'll always notice, oh, okay, that was a flat six. Okay. And then I'll bring it up when I talk about it. Say, Look, this was mainly C Dorian, mm -hmm. but you'll notice that sometimes I, I did the A flat and that A flat sounds that like, sounds cool. <laughs> so anyway, that's, that's an interesting thing too, about, you know, examples and your mind getting in the way and the different parts of the brain. And yeah. But what I, uh, I think, balked against was the harassment, the, the hatred, and the insistence of this is how it's learned. And they just throw you in 11 feet deep water and laugh at you and then say, record that solo in the front of the class and then go home and transcribe it. And, you know, you're realizing, oh, of course it sounds bad. I played a C sharp on a C chord. You know, it's, it's like they're like pointing out why you're so... Uh, it's like you have no training with it at all, but they're expecting you to just all of a sudden get it. Like there was not really any stepwise training to say this is how it's done. It was just improvise on this, improvise on that, do mm -hmm. this. In fact, taking harmonic considerations for improv was so exciting because every week they'd put the transcription up of a beautiful solo and you thought this is it. Mm -hmm. This is the week the magic's going to happen. Then they're going to show us what really goes into it and why and how to do it. And you'd be going to get your seat and this fantastic song would be on with this great solo and you couldn't wait. And then it would be like, the flat three resolves to the five or sixth, which goes down to the third. Would you come up the arpeggio in thirds and then we go down in a triplet to the dot. And you're like, kill me now like it just it was never the magic side of what you were looking for mm -hmm. and then you'd say well how did Ella Fitzgerald really learn how did Joe Pass really learn these folks knew nothing uh who else George Benson they knew nothing and yet they knew this delicious wonderful language that just 
all these great things are coming out, you know. In fact, that reminds me of a joke that I just saw with a State Farm commercial. They're like, oh, there's too many options. It's really complicated, like jazz. <laughs> <laughs> I think I saw that commercial. That? It's a yeah. funny commercial. <laughs> but what I realized was, ah, Ella Fitzgerald, George Benson, Joe Pass, they didn't get thrown in at Berkeley on day one, having never sung before or never played jazz before in 11 feet of water. It's not like, you know, they've been hearing it. They've been listening to people. They've got the vocabulary and the language and the feel for it and the love for it that you have. And then they're putting that all together. It's like, when you know where the progression is going, I can sing the greatest solos on jazz standards because I've heard those progressions come through the walls now for 40 years. Now mm -hmm. I know those songs. When I was 20 or 18, I didn't know where those chords were going. Mm -hmm. it was, it, your guess is as good as mine where my fingers are going to go because I don't know where that song's going. So I went, aha. See, mm -hmm. Ella would not get on stage tonight in front of 60,000 people and put, sing a solo on the song of mine that she doesn't know. Mm -hmm. They mm -hmm. never told you that you're playing songs you don't know. Mm -hmm. And we want you to go home and learn them. And then they'd say, don't learn your solos. You're like, err. Like it's very confusing, and but she would never perform on a song that she didn't know. Or if they changed chords on her and made her look bad, oh baby, you know that would have been the end of it, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So that was very interesting to understand. Mm -hmm. mm. It's a big difference. Mm. So when people could hear stuff but they didn't know what it was called, but they were playing it, somebody could tell them, well, that's just a C minor seven flat five. You'll get it, you know. And like, mm -hmm. oh yeah, I play that all the time. But George Benson didn't know what it was called, you know? Yeah, well, the, the funny thing is, you know, when you get the gospel players who have this great harmonic sense, um, and um, sometimes when they come to Berkeley, they have no idea what they're playing, but they sound incredible, okay? And I told them, you know, you already did the hard part. You're all already playing the music. You're playing it in a way through your heart that I can't teach you. I can teach you, I can say, that's a nine on that chord. That's E flat major seven. Check that out. Let's do some inversions, you know, which is very boring compared to how they play. <laughs> just just take the, those 15 minutes and go through 12 keys and try to play, even just a triad, you know, and try to get to know it and understand it. And slowly vo the vocabulary of the words begin to describe what you're playing, you know. I mean... I, cool. See, I've never heard anybody honestly say that either. That's brilliant. Yeah. That's the hard part. You've already done that, and it's already coming through your heart, and it's in the right place, like with the right conviction even. You know, like it's like saying the wrong emphasis on the wrong syllable. <laughs> people come up with the greatest tensions on specific chords and things, but if you put it in the wrong place, it's not as cool. Oh, totally. Offset, you know, and the melody could be offset or whatever. So, yeah, it's those things that you want to be believable. And that you just put your finger on. It's like they really can't teach it. No, no. You know? And, and people used to always laugh at guitar players and say you can't really teach them how to read either. Because like, yeah. if you want a guitar player to turn down their volume, just put a piece of music in front of yeah, them. Yeah, 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 yeah. And so it's like, well, wait a minute. Well, then how is the whole college based on if you can't really teach reading and you really can't teach improv... How are they taking everybody's money saying they're going to teach them these two things when they don't? <laughs> and it's like, no, I really did teach people how to learn how to read very well. <laughs> like, yeah, I don't think it's something you can't 
learn how to do or to teach, read, you know. You're bringing up something very important, though. It's because like in any other style of music or however we found our way into composing or writing songs or whatever we were doing, we had this awakening, some kind of a, hey, that's the title of one of your albums. Mm -hmm. <laughs> we had this door open somehow that, that showed us a way into something really magical and it happened naturally and a desire was born that we couldn't put down that we couldn't stop following that we couldn't stop playing with and i'm not sure we're seeing folks as hungry these days as we used to see before because like you say they don't want to they don't have the patience for it and it's like that's what playing is you play it 6,000 times so that you know it really well and can play it in front of 7,000 people without making a mistake this mm -hmm. is how you get great. You you have to have repetition. What mm -hmm. do you mean you don't want to play it? Uh, when I am said, I going to get good? <laughs> uh, oh, my. I had a student say to me uh, recently, oh, so I have to play that chord here and then that another chord on beat three and then another chord on the following. Is that what you're saying? You're giving me an existential crisis. <laughs> and I said, well, that's the song. I'm, what do you mean? It's, oh, well, then I'll, I'll, I guess I'll have to practice it. I'm like, well, yeah. Like, Hans. <laughs> right? I mean, it's it's remarkable because it's it's not going to be that the culture, that immediate culture of turning the computer on and being able to Google anything and getting in information and or something in two seconds. It's, you know, that's why some people are afraid us players are going to go out of style. Well, I don't, I think we're going to probably be in more demand because it's going to be even more rare that somebody actually really plays an instrument or understands what they're doing. Well, I hope so. Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah, I'm going to still enjoy it as long as I can. <laughs> well, me too. Me too. I, I tend not to think that it's that, you know, piano lessons, you know, and guitar lessons. People always wanted to do that. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. And those instruments are so cool. being, uh, I mean, if you don't want to be a professional at it, you like doing it, you know? Yeah. yeah. Well, how do you write down? It seems like piano is so linear and so fluid. And the way they teach guitar is so like, here's a block of notes. And some of the big chords we learn when we play a bar chord after those first few little open position chords, we don't even realize that those six notes are just duplicating notes to make triads. Mm -hmm. We don't even need all six of them. Mm -hmm. you know? So it's very easy to write down a chord chart on guitar and then expect that most people would play it in pretty much the same place because mm -hmm. we know various chord shapes, you know? Mm -hmm. But when you go to play, like when I write songs on piano now, I'm like, I got to take videos of it. And I got to, it's like, I could try to write some down. But I remember even speaking to you when I first started messing around with piano in a serious way or writing songs, I was like, it seems to me that what you write in the bass clef should just be your left hand. And everything in the right hand should be the top clef. That would make more sense, you know, but it's, it just really depends on the range and things mm -hmm. cross over and, there's so many moving parts, and to keep track of 10 fingers, I'm like, oh, oh, this is bizarre. And yet I have other piano players say to me, are you kidding? Six pianos in a row? <laughs> You're playing chess on six different levels with those six fingers. I don't know how you do that. 
<laughs> oh, that's great. Yeah. Wow, that's crazy. Yeah, no, I, I can't believe the guitar either. You know, <laughs> at least, you know, the piano, I can look at it. You know, I can put down the sustain pedal and play, you know, in different notes at the same time. Oh, yeah. That's a beautiful thing. Yeah, I, I'm just amazed at the size of a piano. I mean, even my upright over there, mm -hmm. it's such a big instrument. And then if you're playing a grand or a baby grand, you know, Kate will say, oh, that's like driving the big bus. You know, <laughs> you're playing this gigantic thing. But the overtones and the harmonics and the, the richness and the sustain and that reverb, I mean, it's really like a sound bath. It's the most amazing thing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it was one of the things that threw me off in ear training classes because it's like I could tell you not only, you know, the quality of a chord on a guitar instantly, but I could tell you what inversion it was in and where you were playing it on the neck and all that stuff. And on piano, I'm like, Isn't that interesting? I don't even know <laughs> because it, there was so much information there. I, I, I ran into that with um, when I used to teach ear training full time. Mm. Yeah, I also ran into you know, a kid would come in and he'd say, I have perfect pitch on trumpet, but when you play it, you know, I he doesn't know what the note is. And I said to him, well, just transpose it down a step and write it down. But it's just not how it worked for him. It was just totally confusing all semester. And another interesting thing happened once that I was playing the upright like that. So the soundboard was facing the class. And um, there were a couple of people sometimes that said, you're playing really loud. Like they're not used to that kind of, you know, sound with so many overtones. And so, you know, and so that was interesting too. But yeah, um, I think that people that work with the piano when they do ear training really need to be aware of the fact that somebody might not be used to hearing it on that instrument. That's exactly true. And isn't it fascinating that you could take off the attack of any sound wave of any note played by any instrument, percussive, melodic, yeah, anything. you could take off the attack that t first plosive, and you can't tell what instrument made that sound. Hmm. I didn't know that. Hmm. The sustain is the same for everything. So it's the attack that gives the articulation, that gives the pronunciation, that gives the understanding of it, it was a trumpet, it was a piano, it was a guitar, it was a car horn, it was a... I think that's fascinating. And then there was a woman who wrote a book called The Secret Language of Babies mm -hmm. because she had perfect pitch. And when mm -hmm. she had her first son, she noticed that when he cried, the very first sound he made, that first syllable that we're talking about was different depending mm -hmm. upon what need he had. She had mm -hmm. a different sound for when he was hungry. She knew the sound for when he needed to be changed. She knew the sound when he had a gas pain. She just knew what he needed to pick me up. And she was on Oprah when I heard about this. And um, she went around to like seven, it's on YouTube, you can watch it. It's like seven mothers with newborns, however many people were up there. And they all started fidgeting and crying. She said, this one's hungry, this one needs to be changed, this one, this is, and they all did it and they, all those babies were fine. So. Mm -hmm. That listening in detail, to me, the magic is in the detail, whether mm -hmm. you're writing something or thinking through an essay or mm -hmm. making a decent lyric or putting together a speech or a class or writing a book or mm -hmm. making a great solo in the middle of a tune somewhere. I mean, it's like the details have all the magic in it. That's what makes things so exciting. And here she was picking up on these details, knowing that 
that's what babies were actually communicating. And it was because it was a reflex. When they're hungry, they go, mm, and it's a mouth thing. Mm -hmm. When it's a pain, it's like, uh, you know, like, <laughs> and we have the same sounds and, and reflexes today. Like, we're the same. You know? Oh, gosh. It's fascinating. That's amazing. That is amazing. Yeah, I mean, I it's, though, I think the impatience and the immediacy in, you know, the culture, especially of the younger people trying to learn music, you know, if they're not going to be patient, if they're not going to take the time, if they're not going to be excited about learning the details, it ain't going to happen. Oh, no. You know, so. How many years were you studying piano, literally playing and studying piano before you even went to Berkeley? Well, let's see here. Well, am I going to count Ms. Lauer? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, that was those were lessons, but they were, you know. I don't know how old it was. I was in. I was still in Illinois, as I recall. So, well, like even experience playing the instrument, like you, there's nothing that could even replace holding or sitting next to and touching the instrument for years and years and years. Like I can teach myself all kinds of things on piano. You know, for a while I was even playing Martha, my dear, and singing it at the same time. But I had to keep playing it for like 11 years, otherwise I'd forget it all. You know, it's like I wish everything I ever learned I could still just instantly play. But it's not like that. You're constantly changing your repertoire, constantly mm -hmm. putting different things in and out, and you have to relearn things all the time. And it'd be so cool if they were all just right there under your fingers all the time. <laughs> Are they on the guitar, though? Uh, no, the same, same on guitar. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know. Oh yeah. Um, so I would say probably I was certainly by first grade. So from first grade, and then I went to college two years after high school. Wow. So it's so, like twelve, fourteen years. Yeah, that's a lot of time with sound. But that's a serious musician before you went to Berkeley. That's what I thought Berkeley was—the place for serious musicians. I well, that's wait. why you know it, it's just you know I um. It was a couple of things that that were surprising to me, mm -hmm. particularly as as it's like, well, of course, I know what inner hearing is. <laughs> you don't hear sounds in your head and say, mm, well, yeah, that's the third or whatever. Right. You know, I, mean, I have, you know, if I listen to music, even if it's just a, a film score to something, I quit listening to the words, I just listening to the music. And, um, you know, in my mind, I can see it as what the notes are on the keyboard or what the chords are. Oh, cool. I'm going to F minor. You know, and all that kind of stuff. And that's that's part of what being a musician is. You know, it's not, it is cool, but I'm not really special. That's what we do. That's what happens. Those are the actual skills of being. So, you know, and, and, you know, the students are coming in younger and knowing wow. less. Yes, yes, yes. Particularly the um, the domestic ones. <laughs> and, um, it's it's just it's really surprising to me. It's it's just really surprising to me. I I knew exactly what I wanted to do from the moment I got there. Me too. And I just I worked on it, and I continue to work on it. So it's funny because you said how many years of lessons before Berkeley, and then. I was thinking to myself, I'm taking lessons right now. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. We're yeah. all still you studying know? all kinds of things. It, it just never stops. It's just no. 
the beauty of it, you know? Yeah, um, there's no bottom, definitely. Yeah. I love that about it, actually, too. But uh -huh. there were like a lot of materials that my first guitar teacher gave me. There were little baby chords, melodies, and things like that that you could play on the guitar. And my first 10, 15 years teaching at Berkeley, there was no way I could bring that stuff in for my students. I was playing that stuff when I was 9, 10 years old, 11 years old. That would have been silly. It would have been like giving them Alfred's basic guitar method number one or something, you know? Like, they were so far beyond that. And now, it's like, that stuff's too hard for my 18 to 22 year olds. I'm like, what is happening? What are we actually teaching here? Mm -hmm. You know, it's like we're getting paid to babysit. It's like- Yeah, it does feel like that sometimes. It really does. And it's more behavioral and talking and psychological, whatever. And you're like, I just wanted to play guitar. Are you kidding? Come on, let's play. Let's do something, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's funny. It's like uh, um, a friend of mine told me a story about she was in a class one time and um, she, she so I guess some student was kind of a little acting up and she threw an eraser at the board and said, um, this is why I didn't teach grade school. <laughs> Absolutely. Me too. I wanted to teach college level. And this is why I wanted to have these conversation chats with some of my friends and people I would like to meet because I need adult company. <laughs> <laughs> I started this purely for myself. I don't expect it to do anything for anybody. It's doing it for me. You know? <laughs> yeah. okay. Well, it's interesting to find you have the same experience in your, um, you know, I'm not putting the people down. So if anybody hears this, I'm not saying anything bad about. Yeah, it's nobody's know. fault. It's nobody's fault and it's not, you know, and if you come to me, I'm happy to take you from where you are. And with your work, you'll get to the next spot and I'll w walk with you that way. My only trouble is really with people that aren't willing to do any work. Exactly. They don't realize that that is the work. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's like, well, like what I just said about that person, just are you even on this planet? I just. And they look at you like you don't know because you're not a rock star. And that's not how people play guitar out in the world. And it's like well, you're watching some really bad players. Uh -huh. you know, if you're going to play the instrument, I mean, you could do that theatrical thing, and that's cool for audiences and stuff, but that's not going to get you through this proficiency. And you know what? Since you already know how to do that, you didn't need to come to Berkeley for that. Uh -huh. What are you coming to Berkeley for if you don't want to learn the actual musician side of that? Uh -huh. Uh -huh. That's what I don't get. Mm -hmm. They don't mm -hmm. really know what Berkeley is all about. They don't know what it entails and what it's going to do. And that's what this new guitar book is trying to say. It's like, you need to know this stuff because this is what we're doing. This is what you learn. This is what everybody on the planet who plays guitar uses mm -hmm. <laughs> to some mm -hmm. degree or another. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, piano is a little different because, you know, just about everybody has come in with some classical experience as a child. Hmm. Um, not everybody, but most have hmm. experience at playing the instrument. 
These days, though, with them letting in more people that I feel shouldn't be let in yet. Thank you. Yes. Just for one or two more years before. I mean, when I used I don't do auditions for the college anymore. But when I used to, it wasn't unusual for me to write down this person needs at least one to two years of lessons. What do they think? Play a little something and then they're not going to they're going to sink. They're not going to swim. Well, exactly. Swim. And yeah. aren't they concerned about student retention other than just getting people from all over the world? It's like letting the people who really want to learn and yeah. will stay here and keep paying you. A lot of crazy uh, moving parts to that. I, I guess if I was more on the administration side or something, I'd be like, but we need bodies to do blah, blah, blah. We need to fix the bottom line for blah, blah, blah. And there'd be different parameters to fill or fit or whatever. But for those of us on the front line, I totally agree with you. I would gladly take anybody even just picking up guitar for the first time. I, I gave Kenward Denard a three-hour guitar lesson, and he gave me a three-hour drum lesson. He just kept looking at it like, what? Like, what am I going to do with this thing? He was so fun. They had asked us guitar teachers if we'd be interested in just teaching anybody any kind of guitar lesson online. Would you be interested in doing that? Like, it doesn't have to be the Berkeley curriculum if it's through Berkeley. And we said, sure. And then they put it out to the world, like in a survey, who would be interested in taking guitar lessons with Berkeley faculty if it had nothing to do with grades? And and it was so overwhelming, they, they didn't even know what to do with the numbers. And I just thought, <laughs> there's your answer. You know, like, <laughs> it is very popular. There are people hungry for stuff. And it doesn't have to always be just this way, you know? Mm. Mm. Kind of, yeah, kind of, kind of making the circle back there to that, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, people want to... I, I think anybody should have fun with any instrument and enjoy their time on the planet any way they'd like. And mm. anybody can be a real scientist or a real musician or a real <laughs> scuba diver or whatever they want, you know? Mm. For sure. They, they just have to realize that the reality is that's what the college actually is. Well, you know, I've 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 said to people, if you want college credit, this is how this is how you get college credit. Yeah. You don't care about getting a degree. Why don't you just go and get lessons? Yeah, play the band. You know, exactly. You don't want more interest. You know, that's you know. But if you want to get right you know, degree and move forward, and, and that is the cool thing about the school, though, that we do have to say is that you know, not everybody wants to be a player. No, there's so many things to enjoy about music, around music. And, you know, there's lots of different avenues you can go to that I think that being around school is really good. And also, um, you know, the networking for the people that you'll be working with and knowing for the rest of your life, such as you and I, right? (laughs) (laughs) That's pretty cool, yeah. So when you're writing uh, something I remember when we were doing uh, one of your albums recently, you did have some charts, you did have some things written down, but how much of that did you change while you were reading it or reminding yourself what you wanted to do there? And how I'd say, that well, the, the first thing to say about that, it's never written in a grand staff. Or exact. Or exact. Right. Okay, like I find lead, that really hard. <laughs> yeah, I like lead sheets. And then I also sometimes... It's really funny because I write some very intricate arrangements of things. Um, yeah. I, yeah, you do. Like like unsophisticated lady, sophisticated lady, right? Yeah. Um, uh, for my class, upper structure triad level two, I have it 
notated with the left hand in the grand staff. Wow. Um, so they can see the whole thing because they're like, yeah, but how do I, what do I do with this? Yeah. What I see is just an upper structure triad, horizontal line, primary chord, melody. Wow. So a lot of it is played very similar, but um, I don't change the sonorities when I when I play because it's an it's an arrangement, you know. The sonority, you mean which chord is where? Yeah, like what song? What? Excuse me. What? Uh, what? What chord I'm playing? Because this, yeah. you're going to change the voicings though, or do you have specific voicings? For well, sure? it depends. If I'm if I'm playing something with a particular melody being harmonized with a with a triad, I won't change it. Yeah, I get very attached to specific voicings, mm -hmm. and that has actually helped me in a lot of ways. Because yeah, well, absolutely, it's really funny. I should scan something and send it to you because before I write it all down in the grand staff, mm. and I don't even mind doing it for myself because if I put it away for three four months i have to kind of make it up again i know or you know to the recording and transcribe your own stuff which, which is, is ridiculous so Absolutely. right so what you know what i write and some of them with with the single line i'll write you know everything so since the melody is already there mm -hmm. i have to invert the upper structure triad until the melody note is on top oh there you go it's like was it this, this? oh of course it had to be that Right. So that's given. But what do I do with my left hand? Uh -huh. Or do I add anything else in my right hand? And what I'll write is with my with a pencil right underneath, I'll write one seven, one three seven, three seven, seven three. Mm. Get your no. Yeah, just so I know you know what kind of shell or guide tone or three part chord or cluster. If it's cluster, I stick with numbers. Nice. If it's easy on the lead sheet to write the notes, I'll write the notes, but sometimes it's harder to see. And right. You know, uh, and um, that, you know, I mean, it's for me at this point, obviously, it's just as easy to read the grand staff, but that shorthand is very helpful to me. Definitely. That sounds great. That makes sense. It depends on what, what your real goals are. For instance, let's say 1-7 is E-D, right? Yeah. Um, I don't write E-D, right? And I wouldn't let my students do that either. They have to understand that that's the root and the seventh. Okay. I think that's more important to know. Well, it also determines distance. Yeah. So. important. You need that interval relationship understood. Or right. It's not like D-D-E. Yeah, that would be like, it doesn't work. But yeah, it's, it's interesting, yeah. It is. I, I, I guess I'm just fascinated with the whole, where does it come from? How do we hear it? Why does it come to us? And then how do we remember it? And what do we do with it? And <laughs> uh, it, it's just so cool that, you know, before you've written something, it doesn't exist. And then afterwards, it's like, here's this new thing that wasn't here before. Mm-hmm. And the other day I was driving and I thought, what if we keep coming back to the planet and we get to be a human being again and we keep being musicians and we keep writing the same songs and that's what we're actually doing when we go, wait, there's one coming in. <laughs> we're actually trying to remember what we did in that previous lifetime and we just keep remembering those same songs. Oh, that's too funny. It's like, a, I don't know. I kind of, I just imagine, you know, I mean, to me, I I really imagine the muse. I just, you know. I like that muse thing uh, a lot. Well, 
to me, it's like the same energy that creates worlds. Whatever yeah. the magic and love and real life source energy muse that keeps everything breathing and alive is, whatever that is. That is, is that thoughtless space. It's this, you know. And um, what you were saying earlier about repetition and having to do things over and over again, I had a student who was an actual biology major who explained to me that every time you learn something new, your brain creates a new groove to start that synapse connection. Mm. So if you've ever seen a picture of a brain with all the little roads in it and stuff, mm -hmm. like a calf's brain in the store or something, mm. there's all those crevices. Mm -hmm. And every time you try to play that interval or that scale or that mm. chord to this chord to that chord in the same measure, mm. you're creating a new synapse connection to teach your brain to tell your muscles and your tendons and your fingers how to do the thing and no matter how much somebody thinks it's about their cool mustache or the latest hat or haircut they're wearing it's like there's a physicalness to every instrument mm -hmm. and your body is just not doing it yet it's mm -hmm. like every time i play piano in front of you or some of my other piano player friends will go well make your hands more like this mm -hmm. and that's the same one people playing guitar in front of me i go well make this hand do it there's it's not there yet we haven't put in our ten thousand hours yet Mm -hmm. But as soon as you do, you get that aha moment and everything feels like I get it now. Mm -hmm. And that particular phrase or that scale or that particular chord passage is playable. And you will not forget it usually. It mm -hmm. won't be that hard to tell yourself what that was again because your fingers are used to doing it and they're now trained and they've got it. But mm -hmm. you're not going to feel like you have it until you've done it enough times that that connection is made. Mm -hmm. Well, and that's I, why it's so I love knowing that because it, that's like just means just keep showing up and uh, giving it sun and water and it's going to grow. Yeah, you know? exactly. Well, but that's exactly what I mean about fertile ground because that's what I wanted to want. come back to it for because I wanted to <laughs> yeah. add that to that fertile ground. Very good. Yeah, I'm, I'm yeah. with you on that because, you know, because you just created a groove that's wrong. <laughs> yeah, and yeah, you, it takes much more to undo a groove that's wrong than to just do it right correctly from the first. Yeah, uh, that's the way that it is. That's the way that it is. What do you do to stay inspired, or how often do you write, or how often do you still practice, or any of those things? Well, I practice two to three hours every day. There you go. And that's just piano playing. That's not transcribing or writing or, you know, it's, yeah. it's, it's you know, um, and uh, I stay inspired by the recordings I listen to by learning new songs from recordings and from transcribing solos. Um, I'm inspired um, now by a friend of mine who uh, is a new faculty member at Berkeley, and we got hooked up together for me to teach her jazz harmony. And um, hmm. we started hanging out this summer, and I said, hey, look, if this faculty thing isn't, you know how you study with another faculty? We weren't sure it was when or if it was going to happen. So I said, why don't you just come over? We'll switch lessons. Mm -hmm. Teaches me um, classical technique. Oh, cool. Classical pieces. And um, and I teach her jazz harmony. And that's been really inspiring. I love Very, that. It's funny because uh, you would think that somebody who's been at it for so long, but I'm but I'm doing a new technique. Yes, oh, it's, yeah. it's very exciting. Yeah. Yeah. That would be if very... I went to a different style, like all of a sudden doing flamenco or something, a whole different. Yeah. Thing. 
Yeah, yeah it's a whole th different thing. And I'll, I'll uh, you know, watch her play some classical pieces and uh, mark it up on my new iPad with the eye pencil and circle things in red and in blue. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Yeah. Right now. So that, these are the things that I find inspiring. And then, of course, going to concerts. Mm. And um, I booked myself um, a cabin on the jazz cruise. Um, it's 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 a cruise that's like every night they have jazz and like the famous guys, you know. Oh, wow. And, um, that goes out of Miami and it's a week long and it also goes to three. Um, it goes to three islands, too. But islands will be fun but I'm, that's not what and they give talks during the day some they interview some of the musicians oh, nice and uh i know two people that are performing that i went to college with so anyway doing something like that is going to be really inspiring you know that's you can imagine that that's way up my alley i can't find anybody to go with me though yeah <laughs> <laughs> i know someone in ohio that would go with you <laughs> oh god i didn't even think of that so I thought you were saying you do this all the time. You haven't you haven't gone on one yet. I've never done it. No, but I'm yeah, we'll see. It's super expensive when you go alone because nobody's sharing, you know. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, but, it sounds like the thing to do. Like, yeah. Uh, yeah, a bunch of years ago, I went to mix with the masters and uh, it was a thing in France where it was a week long recording intensive and it was it was cool. Oh, wow. Yeah. Got a partial grant for it and travel money and stuff from Berkeley. So yeah, that was great. But like continued learning, like you said, there's always so much more to learn. Right. Just look up another recording. You know, it's <laughs> just, yeah, I've been really inspired by um, Jerry Allen's work recently and been studying, um, doing some transcription of hers and I've been studying some music that Joanne Burkeen wrote. Oh, and sweet. Just the uh, the the rhythms and the harmonies are like crazy. Wow. You know, and it, I just find it so interesting, you know. And I, I this one piece is really intricate. And I asked her to um if it would be okay for her to send me the music to it. Mm. And she took pictures of of it and sent it along. And I've been working on it. It's just it's, it's like wow. Okay, it sounds so. I mean, I knew it was going to be hard, but it's harder than I thought. <laughs> oh, yeah, always. always. Well, in a good way, because then that extra stretching happens. Like, I remember even being a kid and practicing things for the first time, but liking that brain-crunching feeling of working something out. Then mm -hmm. often, whether it's guitar or piano, my hands or wrists are tired, but my brain wants to keep going. Mm -hmm. so I have to rest, mm -hmm. you know, but... but I'm still thinking about it in my head and sometimes in bed, even as I'm falling asleep, I'm working on composite rhythms on the drums and each of my four limbs are thinking about what they're doing so that you can separate your limbs and, you know, mm -hmm. the independence mm -hmm. and stuff. Did you see the, uh, I'm looking forward to watching the special on Prime with, uh, about Wayne Shorter. Oh, that's right. When's that going to be? I think it's now. I think we can watch it anytime. It looks good. The trailer looks great. What's it called? Wayne Shorter, Zero Gravity. Mm -hmm. Well, that'll be neat. Yeah. Can't wait. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just watched the whole thing on Ella a couple of months ago, and that was fascinating, too. Mm -hmm. I had no idea the stuff that she went through and how she really wanted to be a dancer. Mm -hmm. <laughs>
Really? I didn't know that. Oh, oh, yeah. Watch that special. That was great, too. Jeez. Like, what are some of the things that you love about being a musician? Well, you're never alone. Instruments right there. <laughs> I, sit with it and I spend my time with it and, you know. The best friend I've ever had, actually. It really is. And you're working on something and you're getting better at something and you're having successes daily and what was hard yesterday is less hard today and mm -hmm. process i just find that well i think it is exhilarating yeah mm. and just living in sound and rhythm is just a joy it really is cool yeah i feel like uh sometimes even just a couple of chords i could just live inside those chords mm -hmm. and hear them forever and be totally zen <laughs> totally happy or something <laughs> it's funny because uh you know because we talk that's what we call a real musician you know so you get the students at school you know and sometimes if i describe somebody this is a real musician hmm. i'll even say to people a student if i find that that's true you know to say it in a way not in a way that you know i thought you wouldn't be but um now you you <laughs> You now you got the muse. I see you. You got the muse, don't you? All right. Now the rest of it is just wiggling. You're learning how to wiggle your fingers. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or unfortunately, no small task. Yeah, yeah. And all those things are different. Yeah. Uh, yeah. There's so many ways to be a really great entertainer mm -hmm. that isn't necessarily a, a musician, but it's a great entertainer or uh, some folks write or some folks just play or some folks improvise and some folks make up stories or, you know, like whatever you're doing. But uh, it's interesting now, too, how so many things are becoming self-service and that the musician has to do a million different jobs, whereas before it was optional and people would laugh and say to me, why are you wearing so many different hats? Why are you doing so many different things? You should just get an engineer. You should just get a publisher. You should just get a this. You should stop trying to be all those things. But now they're making you be all those things like pump your own gas. <laughs> no self-serve. There's all self-service now for everything, pretty much. When I go to stop and shop, I have to ring myself out. Yeah, there's that now, too. Mm -hmm. and, and I just saw the latest update on that at Whole Foods. They have carts now where you ring yourself in the cart and then you just take it out to your car. You've paid right from your cart. God forbid any human contact. <laughs> you know what I wanted to ask you about piano is it's become much easier now. I have like a little Android phone and an app on there that I got for free that mm -hmm. I can tune my piano with. Hmm. In two or three hours, I just tune my piano all the time. So I was wondering how often you have to have yours tuned. And if any teacher ever mentions, like, I, I think it should be part of piano training where they teach you how to at least fix your unison so you don't go crazy. Hmm. Nobody's ever suggested I learn how to tune them in my I, whole life. I don't, I don't think anybody wants to be anywhere near that, but I think it would be so helpful. Hmm. Yeah, it would be. It you would guys be. are at the mercy of every piano that you come across in whatever condition it's in. Yeah, I mean, I do know some pianists who know enough to make it a little better on them if they get to a gig. I know nothing. Um, I remember a long time ago, I would have to, uh, I would ask uh, 
somebody to come in and, and check out the piano before I played on it. If it was like a at the willow or something that, that you know, remember the willow, like the piano was terrible. But if when she tuned it up a little bit, at least it was playable, you know, yeah. she'd do that for half price and then I'd do something for her. So, nice. um, but my own piano is only two to three times a year. It keeps this tuning very well. It's got the damn ch chaser system on it. Cool. And I tried, I'll be, uh, the guys come in next Saturday, actually. So <laughs> kind of wonky right now. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's definitely one of those added skills that not everybody would be interested in doing. But like some of my friends, like Kate, play harp. She's tuning anyway. It's the same kind of tuner. Thing. So does she do her piano? She, oh. Not yet. I'm always saying you could. I mean, if I do mine and I don't even play piano or tune pianos anybody can do it you know because hmm. it does the stretch tuning you know you just put it in a certain mode you teach it what your piano is and then you hmm. save it and then you can it even switches it knows a0 a1 a2 you can tell what octave you're in and what note you're playing if it doesn't do it automatically and hmm. then you just mute or hold the other two strings when you're hitting one of the three or two of the you know, and you could do those two by ear if you want to, but it the tuner just tells you when it's there. And you mm. just tune all three, tune all two, tune the ones, and, and you're good. It takes me about two or three hours, but like sometimes mine doesn't go out of tune everywhere. You just hear one that gets really sour or whatever, go in, fix it, make sure it didn't drift too far from standard so I can record with it, touch it up. It's usually the center and the mm. ends are okay, you know, like so. That's yeah, where we play so much. So, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, I think it's cool, and I, I think it's a definitely an added benefit because, you know, I, I can't even hit my drums if they're not in tune. It just drives me crazy. I, I that's, that's why recording is so much cooler to me sometimes, because I can control so many things. Well, great to see you. Great to see you too, Susan. All right, talk real soon, okay? Ciao. Bye. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Bye-bye. Susanna Sifter and Sophisticated Ladies playing in the background from her album of the same name. Check out all her other albums and buy her piano books. They will teach you so much. Berkeley Jazz Keyboard Harmony using upper structure triads and a modern method for piano scales. You can study with Susanna anywhere in the world via Zoom. Thanks so much, Suze. That was great. It was very fun catching up. And I love your dedication and your work, dedicating your life to your art. Just fabulous. Everybody go practice. <laughs> go to your studio and make stuff. 